Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Hello, everybody. This is a really fun episode. Fun, weird, and extremely interesting and inspiring. I will say I had heard of lucid dreaming before, the idea that you can wake up in the middle of a dream and actually make decisions in that dream and have agency, you know, go flying or whatever. I was actually assigned once many years ago to do a story on lucid dreaming for Nightline, but I ended up not being able to do it for one reason or another, and some other correspondent took the job. But anyway, I walked away with the impression that lucid dreaming was just hippie nonsense. I did not actually have any indication at the time that lucid dreaming was actually deeply woven into some ancient and time-tested Buddhist traditions. So my takeaway was just another case of me being dismissive and judgmental. My guest today has been studying and practicing Buddhism and what he calls nocturnal meditation, which comes in many flavors, for more than four decades. And he has remarkably simple and down-to-earth tips that you can use to give this a try in your own life right away. He argues anybody can do this. And the proposition is pretty compelling. We are asleep for a huge percentage of our lives. And from the perspective of contemplative development or training the mind, that's a huge stretch of land that is lying fallow. If you have any degree of seriousness about progressing in meditation, you're leaving money on the table. That's probably not the best metaphor, but whatever. My guest is Andrew Holacek. He's an expert on lucid dreaming and the Tibetan yogas of sleep and dream. He is a member of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and the author of scientific papers on lucid dreaming. He's also written many books on the subject, including Dream Yoga, Illuminating Your Life Through Lucid Dreaming and the Tibetan Yogas of Sleep. In this conversation, we talk about the five nocturnal meditations, which include liminal dreaming, lucid dreaming, dream yoga, sleep yoga, and bardo yoga. We talk about why anybody would bother with these nocturnal practices in the first place, how these practices might be and Andrew, by the way, is not alone in believing this, might be the next phase of human evolution. That sounds grandiose, but actually there's some interesting evidence here. The problem of wake centricity, practical tips for trying this stuff yourself. And we talk about whether lucid dreaming really is for everybody, including those of us, myself included, who have sleep issues. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile. Third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You will always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, and more. What I've been checking out recently is called Our Share of Night. It's technically, I guess, a horror, but it's definitely literature. I mean, it's incredibly well-written, absolutely fascinating. 
and it really does rhyme with some of the themes that we explore uh, on this show. I highly recommend it, although I'm only uh, through the, the first 15, 20% of it, but already I highly recommend it. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. I love cats. I make no secret of that. We've got four cats. But here's the thing about felines. They poop a lot. You need kitty litter, and you need that kitty litter to do the job, which is why I'm proud to recommend Tidy Care Alert, which has long-lasting ammonia control so your house or your apartment or your yurt or wherever you live does not smell like you have four cats or however many cats you happen to have. No judgment here. It's low dust and lightweight, which means no lugging heavy bags of cat litter up the stairs and it's from the brand most often recommended and personally used by veterinarians tidy care alert uses color changing crystals to detect potential concerns and help put your mind at ease let tidy care alert help keep an eye on your cat's health andrew holacek welcome to the show dan it's such a delight i'm a big fan of your work so i'm super psyched to spend some time with you today thank you Thank you. Likewise. Yeah, in preparing for this, I learned so much. Uh, I'm excited to learn more about the rich field of practice that is the nighttime and the kingdom of sleep. So let's dive in. I'm curious how you got interested in this. Just reading a little bit about your life, it seems like it involved a detour into dental surgery. (laughs) So I'd be really interested to hear briefly how you became interested in nocturnal meditation. Actually, my first background was as a musician. I was an aspiring classical pianist and still play a great deal of, of classical music, but difficult to make a living in that arena. I'd studied some undergraduate physics and was deeply entranced. And so because of that, I, I came out here to the University of Colorado, studied physics for a number of years, and then, yeah, geez, I realized close but no cigar. And then my whole family's in the medical arts. And I figured, well, probably ought to do something practical to pay the bills. And so I pursued a degree to get a doctor of dental surgery. And that, in fact, has served me beautifully for the entirety of my career up until this point. And now I've dedicated myself exclusively 100% to, to the pursuit of my writing and teaching along these lines. Geez, at this point, almost 50 years ago, where I had an extraordinary experience that lasted some two weeks, where, long story short, what characterized this, I guess you could call it a breakthrough experience, was the virtual nonstop lucidity at night. So I started having lucid dreams. And for listeners who may not be aware of it, This is when you're dreaming, but something clues you into the fact that you're dreaming and you still stay up in the dream. So you're actually aware that you're dreaming and you're still in the dream. And so I just found myself spontaneously having near constant lucidity at night. And then what became really interesting was my daytime experience became increasingly illusory until it got to the point where it was really cool at the outset, it got a little disconcerting after two weeks, where it became somewhat difficult to distinguish whether I was awake or asleep and dreaming. And so I kind of shut that experience down. And then that launched a really quite deep concerted exploration of what I've come to call the nocturnal meditations. But the whole thing really took off when I did a three-year Tibetan Buddhist retreat, kind of a traditional monastic situation where I was introduced to the unbelievable practice of dream yoga. 
goes a little bit farther than traditional lucid dreaming. And that's when things really started to take off because it was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that there was an entire psycho-spiritual path of development in the, the nocturnal arena. And so that's where things really started to take off. Very interesting to hear your background. All right, so let's let's get more detailed about nocturnal meditation. Uh, as we will discuss in a moment, there are five kinds, liminal dreaming, lucid dreaming, dream yoga, sleep yoga, and bardo yoga. We'll get into the differences among these categories. But let me just start on this level, which is why. Why would we want to be interested in this stuff at all? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, like, why bother, right? My life is so full, so busy. You know, we put, we, and I mean by this developmentally ego, puts a, a pretty major do not disturb sign when it comes to these sorts of practices. And so one reason we may want to be so-called disturbed or explore these, this is where it's really helpful to understand the unbelievable physical, psychological, and spiritual benefits of doing these things. But just very briefly, we spend about 25% of our nighttime in the dream arena. So that's about a month a year. That amounts to some seven years in the course of an average lifetime. And so if you can attain lucidity, awareness in the dream arena, and I sometimes playfully refer to this as a kind of night school, I mean, goodness, you can get a PhD in less than seven years, right? So I argue that these nocturnal practices represent the education or the pedagogy of the future. That if we can attain lucidity in the nocturnal arena, we have this extraordinary capacity to take advantage of this time that's otherwise lost to oblivion. And so the other thing that's really important to understand is that when one is working with these practices, in a certain sense, we're working with the roots or the tectonic plates of our being. And the classic Buddhist tantras talk about the practices that one does, whatever you do in the dream arena is seven to nine times more effective, more efficacious than what you do in the waking state. And whether that's an archetypal number or not, it's hard to say, but the principles sound to me that when you're working in this really rare, refined, distilled arena where the conscious mind can face and transform the unconscious mind directly, hey, that's no small thing. So in my imaging here, when you're working with kind of self-help programs, you're working with the leaves and the branches of your experience, when you're working with traditional meditation, you're working with a trunk, and then when you're working with either really deep meditation or these nocturnal practices, you're working on the roots of your experience. And so what you do down there has immediate implications for what you do up here. And then secondly, the science supports this. Like I'm a pianist, right? So I'm playing the piano in my dream, which I do with some regularity. Well, if you're in a scanner, a brain scanner, your right hemisphere is activated in precisely the same way as if you were practicing in daily life. Or if you're doing kind of a logical thing, your left hemisphere is activated. So using the principles of what we all know now as neuroplasticity, that what you do with your mind literally changes your brain, well, hey, you can engage in all these endeavors in the sanctuary of the nighttime arena and really accelerate your psycho-spiritual development. And there's further scientific traction if you want to go in that direction. There's some really compelling neuroanatomical data and some comments by some really sophisticated neuroscientists that actually support this outrageous claim that these practices really arguably could represent the education, the pedagogy of the future. Not only the education or pedagogy of the future, but some are even arguing, in, and I believe you're one of the people making this argument, that it's actually the next step in human evolution. Yeah, like, like right. Isn't it true? Pierre Deschardins, the paleontologist who wrote so beautifully 
about the role of evolution and paraphrasing his extraordinary contributions, my languaging, basically what he showed is that evolution hasn't stopped. It's only moved indoors. And this is precisely where we go at night. If we don't violate the natural curfew of the night with artificial light, and there's really interesting things to say about how dangerous and damaging artificial light is, even to the ecosystem, to the planet, but even psycho-spiritually, artificial light, as opposed to authentic light, draws us out in a way when reality is inviting us in, when we're working with these extraordinary subtle dimensions of the mind. And again, a very brief neuroanatomical interjection here. Let's say, Dan, if you could take your eyes, this I find it quite compelling, if you could somehow take your eyes right now and just roll them and look straight up, you'd be looking at the part of your brain, which is the prefrontal cortex, which has within it the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and the orbitofrontal cortex. These are literally, not metaphorically, literally leading the edge of human brain evolution. And this is why if an ape was to look its look straight up, its forehead slopes back. It doesn't have these parts of the brain. Well, guess what? These metacognitive parts of the brain, and that's another way to talk about what a lucid dream is. It's a metacognitive dream where you're aware. Metacognition is being aware of awareness. So a metacognitive dream is another way to talk about lucid dreaming. You're aware of the fact that you're dreaming. I mean, now, like, how interesting is that, that these are the parts of the brain, literally, not metaphorically, leading the edge of brain evolution that come back online when you're having a lucid dream? So more than anecdotal information in, in my regard. So do you think that lucid dreamers are going to start being, you know, selected for by natural selection <laughs> and that we're going to, those who can do it are going to have different skull structures over the, the coming millennia? That's actually a really interesting comment, Dan. And, and there's one supporting statement from a neuroscientist, Matthew Walker. He wrote this quite beautiful book, Why We Sleep, maybe some five years ago. And he only relegates about three pages to lucid dreaming. But the fact that he says anything is amazing. But towards the end of it, it's such a compelling thing that I memorized it. He says it's entirely possible that lucid dreamers represent the next iteration in Homo sapiens evolution. And so there's a lot of conjecture involved here. We can only make some educated guesses about the possibility of this, but both in the spiritual traditions and by some kind of brave iconoclastic neuroscientist like Matthew, there does seem to be some real traction around this, this potentiality. And this is super important. Picking up on what you said when you took it back to the sort of why would you do this, I'm hearing like a kind of elevated productivity argument, which is we get a limited amount of time on the planet. We spend a lot of that time sleeping, which from a psycho-spiritual standpoint may be fallow. You know, we're not using it to our advantage. And actually, we can and should. Yeah, right. Well, there's that possibility. That's just one vector of of why we might be inspired. And, And kind of subsumed underneath that, Dan, is just let me give you a couple examples. You know, for instance, just in the performance mode, like you said, anything you can do in the waking state, you can do in the dream arena. And you can you can use this for physical improvement and skills, but then you have the, the kind of more traditional psychological benefits. And one would be working with nightmares, but just getting rid of or transforming our nightmares. Geez, that's no small thing. But here's another one. Let's say you have a problem with someone, an issue with a significant other or boss or whatever, and you go see a therapist. Well, wonderful. I, I work unhesitatingly with this capacity of my own development. When you think about it, the body of the person is hardly ever the problem. It's our relationship to that person that's the problem. And so in other words, 
when you're in therapy, even conventionally, the person you're having an issue with doesn't have to be there. They only have to be there phenomenally in your mind. Well, you can engage in kind of role play in your dreams. You can do a type of therapy within the context of your dreams because, again, the person doesn't need to be there. And you can resolve interpersonal issues in the context of a dream. This is totally fascinating. First of all, you make a very compelling case, at least to me. And second, a term that you invoke in your writing, which I thought might be worth just dropping here before we dive into the five categories, is wake centricity. Yeah. That we, yeah. Maybe you can just describe what, it, what that means. Yeah, I'm so glad you, you caught on that. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Because in the Western view, and this is now we're starting to go a little bit into the deeper end of the pool, one of the really amazing things that these, these practices do is they reveal our blind spots. We think that the waking state, not only the only state, the supreme state. And this is why people you know, just categorically dismiss lucid dreaming, let alone lucid sleep. Ah, it's just a dream. I mean, that's a dismissive pejorative statement. Well, the wisdom traditions say, <clears throat> we've got this completely backwards. The actual waking state is the most constricted state, the most myopic, the most limited. And as you actually wake, as you actually go to sleep, in a very real way, if you are lucid, and this does not apply if you are not lucid, but if you are lucid as you descend, you're actually more in contact with reality in the dream state. And even Thoreau said this, many others, and you're most in contact in the deep dreamless state. And so we've got it completely backwards, according to the world's wisdom traditions. Some neuroscientists, Bruce Lipton and others, state powerfully that 95%, I think of these numbers, Dan, 95% of what we do is dictated by unconscious processes. I mean, like, are you kidding me? This, again, is where the spiritual transitions, psycho-spiritual kind of power comes from because you're dealing with such foundational dimensions. It's a little bit like a near-death experience, right? I've never had one, but you don't have to have more than one to have it change your life forever. I mean, look what happened to Eben Alexander, right? Countless instances, people have one near-death experience. It changes them forever. Why? Because it's so foundational. It's so true. It's, it's so the roots of their experience. And so when you have what's called a hyperlucid dream, and maybe we can talk about what that means, it's exactly the same thing. You can have one dream and it will change the course of your life. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds something like, and I don't want to overstate this comparison, psychedelics in that there is a problem with psychedelics in that people can have powerful experiences and then not be able to integrate it or operationalize those insights into their daily life. But some people actually have big experiences and really does uproot something in the software or upgrade the software and change them henceforth. I mean, the work of Tony Bassa, Stan Groff, and others, psychedelic experiences are shown to, like, one session can remove all fear of death, right? Mm -hmm. That's no small thing. No. Um, and no, so there is some not. connection between psychedelics, by the way, and, and lucid dreaming. And so part of the curriculum here that's so fun is you get armed with a skill set, you learn the tools, you learn the tips and the tricks, and then you just set out on this journey on your own. You, you become a psychonaut or Specifically, the term is oneironaut, where oneirology is the study of dreams. And so you set off on this amazing internal adventure. So, but is this really doable by, you know, I'm a busy person, so are you, but this is really your focus. But so many people listening to this, this is, you know, they're not full-time right. 
uh, or narrow knots or whatever the term is you use. Oneironots, so, yes. So is this stuff, even at the shallow end of the pool, you know, it starts with liminal dreaming, then moves through lucid dreaming, dream yoga, sleep yoga, bardo yoga, which again, everybody, we will unpack in a second. Yeah. But is even starting with this doable for the average person? Oh, totally. 100%. 100%. Everybody can do this. Everybody can liminal dream. You can experience this when you're dozing on a summer day on the beach. You can do this when you're meditating and your mind gets soggy after a big meal. Once you start to bring lucidity slash awareness, even into this entry-level liminal state, and again, when people hear about this, they go, man, I had no idea I could do this just by falling asleep. Well, you're almost tricking yourself in a really cool way because then the liminal dreaming actually then doubles as what's called in the business lucid dream onset. In other words, you're actually bringing awareness from the waking state into the dream state, whether you know it or not. Coming up, Andrew walks us through each of the five nocturnal meditations. The weather is getting warmer. Time to ditch my jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. I used to waste my money on clothing that would only last one season. That was until I found Quince. Now I've got high quality pieces that never go out of style that I will be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands by partnering directly with top factories. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. I just made a big order at Quince.com. I got two pairs of sweatpants that I've just had for like a week, and I already love them. I'm wearing them all the time. Sweatpants are a huge deal to me uh, because I work from home and I want to look reasonably good, you know, in front of my wife and stuff, but uh, I want to be comfortable. And uh, the Quince sweatpants uh, do the trick. For me, the bottom line is uh, they've got good looking stuff at low prices. Not a bad recipe. You should go ahead and upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash happier for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash happier to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash happier. It's spring and that means it's graduation season and I've got an idea for an incredibly fun graduation gift or party favor. Did you know that you can get personalized M&Ms you can choose from over 20 colors and add your graduate's name, graduation-themed graphics, or photos, which are printed directly on the candy. I recently got a sample of some of these personalized M&Ms. Uh, they showed up in my mailbox. They got my face on them, which makes it a little bit awkward for me to eat them personally. I'm doing it anyway. The M&Ms I got also include the words 10% happier, to which I have a deep attachment. I was kind of thrilled uh, when I saw them. I was wondering if they were a gift from somebody on the uh, 10th anniversary of the 10% Happier book. Turns out they weren't. They were a gift from uh, M&M's, who are now a sponsor of this show. So thank you, M&M's, uh, for sponsoring this show and for the delicious treat. You can visit MMS.com to create your own unique custom gifts and memorable party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code HAPPIER to receive 15% off your next order. 
let's start to intertwine the what and the how here. Let's start going through this schema that you've created of the five nocturnal meditations, and then I can ask you more of my pesky questions about. I love, I love them. As I've listed before, the five nocturnal meditations are liminal dreaming, lucid dreaming, dream yoga, sleep yoga, bardo yoga. So let's start with liminal dreaming. What is that? Yeah, cool. So this is a term relatively recently coined by a friend of mine, Jennifer Dumper, wonderful person. Previously, just to be a little geeky here, techno speak, previously this phase was called, and I'll define this so don't be intimidated for listeners, hypnagogic or hypnopompic states of consciousness. And, and basically, just what these terms, hypnos means sleep, or in Greek mythology, hypnos refers to the god of sleep. Gogia means leading towards. So hypnagogic dimensions are literally leading towards sleep or leading towards the god of sleep. I kind of like that. Hypnopompic is the back end. So hypnagogic is what happens when you lie down to go to sleep at night. Hypnopompic, pompic means away, leading away from sleep, is what you experience when you wake up in the morning. I really like this term liminality and liminal dreaming because the word itself, liminal means threshold. And what I really groove on it is by working with liminal principles in the dimension of this liminal state of mind, you're also learning to relate and expand your heart and mind to engage liminal phenomena altogether. Everybody can do liminal dreaming. You can work with a greater appreciation about liminal experiences, liminal phenomena, liminal beings. And so, for instance, liminal places. So a liminal place would be any place of transition, like an airport, hallway, workplace, after hours, empty auditorium, empty theater, funeral home. Liminal places are those places that feel just a little bit odd, a little bit uneasy, where, you know, you're not quite there, you're not quite here, you're, you're kind of floating in this fluid kind of plasma dimension. And then liminal experiences are like, hey, I just came back from a long trip in the mountains, I step in the door, I'm not quite home, I'm not quite at work, I'm not in the mountains anymore. And so that's a liminal experience. And so when you understand liminal principles, you realize, hey, wait a second, I'm experiencing liminality all the time. But in particular, the way this works into the dream arena, and I've discovered this over the last couple of years because I've always felt that this particular state of consciousness was skipped over. It's like everybody in the lucid dreaming and even dream world, dream yoga world was like skipping over to get to the goodies. Let's go right to lucid dreaming. Let's go right to dream yoga. I was the same. But I started to back off a little bit and say, hey, I'm going to explore this, this kind of on-ramp or off-ramp, whichever metaphor you want to use. And so what's ha what happens here is so cool. So you lie down and basically, you know, your senses, your physical senses are shut down. And as we all know, you lie down and your mind stands up. You know, your senses are turning off, but your mind is turning on in a certain way. You lie down, you're ruminating throughout the day, all the experiences that happen, the mind stands up. Well, if you bring a quality of witness awareness here, and this is where the meditative mind really comes into play, where what you do with liminality is you cultivate what's referred to as an observational intent, which is exactly what it sounds like. You cultivate this intent that, hey, I'm going to witness, I'm simply going to step back in a mindful capacity, and this is where mindful meditation comes in, and I'm just going to watch my mind as it starts to come offline. So, okay, you're sitting down and it's thinking, thinking, thinking. Well, eventually you'll notice some gaps in your thoughts. That itself is very interesting. If those gaps weren't there, 
you would not fall through one of those gaps and you wouldn't fall asleep. That's insomnia. So you're thinking, 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 gap, thinking, gap, thinking, gap. And then what happens is thinking starts to morph into imaging. So it's thinking, thinking, gap, thinking, gap, thinking, image. This is actually called, in, in the hypnagogic world, it's called thought image amalgamation. A very interesting domain because what's happening is our thinking is, is starting to transform into imaging pictures, autosymbolic phenomena. And then that's going to even transform further into the dream. So you're actually watching your mind transition from thought to thought image to dream. It's a form of dream incubation. You can actually watch how a thought seeds a dream. And Tartantulko Rinpoche, a great Tibetan master, has this wonderful little line here. He says it's like holding a thought by the hand, and you hold it with the, the hand of mindfulness, and leading it into the dream arena, releasing it. These only last three, four, or five seconds. I'm sure many listeners have had this and they're going, whoa, I'm already having lucid dreams. I just didn't know it. It's because the lucid dream is, is so short. It's usually too short to do anything with, but you can watch it and you watch these things evolve. Well, I believe you, but I, I'm, I'm still pretty confused. Well, let's clear it up. Okay, I get that liminal dreaming is different than full-on lucid dreaming, but it can lead to lucid dreaming. And you're saying the how to do it is to just be as awake and aware and mindful as possible as you're falling asleep and coming out of sleep. And I've been meditating for a little bit of time, and I've done a bunch of meditation retreats, and I've never been able to be awake or aware as I'm falling asleep or coming out of it. And I feel like if I was trying to be awake and aware while I was falling asleep as somebody with insomnia, I wouldn't be able to fall asleep anyway. Right. Well, first of all, spot on with a summary. You got it. But a couple of things is until one is introduced to these potentialities and some of the techniques, no surprise that some of this has not become your overt experience yet. And so let me address the issue about insomnia in relationship to this practice. And this, again, is another reason why these practices can be a little bit more advanced because they're so subtle. As you know, Dan, in the meditation world, there's this really common maxim, right? Not too tight, not too loose. If you're too tight, you wind yourself up, you're trying too hard, the mind goes crazy, it's like a saddle that's too tight. If you're too loose, you're not meditating, you're just vegetating, you're hanging. And so the Buddhist tradition in particular, you know this, they talk about the middle way. You know, one way the middle way applies here is not too tight, not too loose. And so one of the things that we discover when we do these practices, and let me say at the outset, at first, everybody fakes it. Everybody. You don't know what you're doing in the dark. You're stumbling, you're fumbling, you're falling, you're tripping, you're going, am I doing this right? Do I know what I'm doing? You're faking it. Everybody does. Why? Because the territory is so unfamiliar. Hence, meditation, what is it? To become familiar with. We're not familiar with these dimensions of mind as they go offline. But if we start to hang with it, we start to become increasingly familiar. And then we can start to walk with trial and error because we fall off. It's like a tightrope. When you're walking into these nocturnal dimensions at first, there's a little bit of a balancing act going on. You know, if you're too tight, ah, your mind goes ballistic, you are going to be insomniac, you're never going to fall asleep. If you're too loose, you're going to fall into the contents of your old habitual patterns, you're just going to crash out. And so what happens is knowing that everybody fakes it and fakes it, 
It's like one of my wonderful teachers, Kempo Rinpoche, taught, I love this line, erring and erring, I walk the unerring path. I just love that. Or mistake after mistake, I walk the unmistaken path. And so we ping off these extremes, we fall, we stand up, but eventually, guess what happens? You find your balance. And then when you find your balance, then you can start to actually, again, witness your mind. You're more aware of when you're too tight. You're more aware of when you're too loose. And you're able to fine tune. You're able to find your sweet spot. And then eventually what happens is, because we're entering into domains of, of mind that are actually quite natural, once we become familiar with them, just like with anything else, it does get easier. It's the first kind of the loading dose, the front end, that's always the most difficult because there are so many forces, my languaging, forces of the dark side, right? There's so many forces of the unconscious mind. There's so many forces of our, our really our fundamental lust for non-lucidity. But these practices are really revelatory. They are revelatory. And sooner or later, they're going to point out to you a bunch of blind spots. And people have to have, you know, kind of a playful, curious, but determined intent to stay with these revelations, dance with them, play with them, and learn from them. I think what you're saying is the first step in this first step of liminal dreaming is just to set the intention to be as mindful as possible going into sleep and coming out of sleep without getting so tight that you make sleep impossible. Exactly, exactly. So so this this observational intent is huge. And, and the whole notion of intent itself, Dan, is so key here. And let me just toss in one very brief comment. I, I went to a dream yoga training a couple of years ago with a pretty, pretty lofty, in fact, you may know him, Sagan Rinpoche, who wrote yeah, the- Yeah, I know, so wrote, he's been on the show. Yeah, I thought so. Wrote the recent book with Daniel Goleman. And so I, I went to one of his dream yoga gigs and it was amazing. The only induction technique he gave was intention. That was it, intention. And so this narrative of intention is really key. The, the word literally means to stretch towards. And what we are doing here is stretching the conscious lucid mind into previously non-lucid domains. It's, it's really a form of consciousness hacking, if you want to use contemporary terms. And so it's just like you said, you know, with liminal dreaming, you start with this observational intent. And it's really as simple as this. You go to bed at night and as you're lying in bed, you're going, you know what? I, I'm setting the intention. I really want to observe my mind. And it's a very open-ended thing. But part of the beauty and maybe frustration at the beginning with liminal dreaming is the open-ended quality of it. That it really is, I wouldn't say it's a free-for-all, but it's, it's the most playful. It's like you become an artist of consciousness itself. And by that, what I mean you set the observational intent to just witness your mind. Just step back in a kind of meditative, mindful way and simply just bear witness to what your mind is doing. That alone, from that intention alone, these insights, phenomena, experiences will start to reveal the sums to you because you're starting to transition from this non-lucid, you know, basically, I'm just going to lie down and crash. Hey, I'm saying there's nothing wrong with that. But if you really want to bring these dimensions of your experience into arenas of psychospiritual development and revelation, this observational intent alone is huge. It may seem facile, patronizing, but it's not. Simply set that intent, go, 
work with it when you're lying in bed for, you know, three, four minutes. Say, I really want to wash my mind. I really want to wash my mind. Yeah. So what are the other aspects of the how here? Like uh, beyond setting the intention, what else can we do to boost the odds that we'll be able to experience liminal dreaming and maybe even lucid dreaming? Yes, spot on. So the single best thing is I've intimated, but now let's put an exclamation point on it, is meditate. Meditate. Because again, what we do with standard meditation, here, here's a wonderful line. This really has some traction from arguably the, the, the most influential academic scientist in the world of lucid dreaming in the West. You may know of him, uh, Stephen LaBerge, dear friend of mine. He says this, it's lovely. He says that thoughts are to waking consciousness as dreams are to dreaming consciousness. That if you start to work with your mind in the arena of meditation during the day, you're actually starting to work with the lucidity principle. You're starting to work with this because when you're falling asleep, what is sleep and dream and everything else made of? Well, it's made of your mind. It's just mind manifesting in these more subtle dimensions. And so to establish a more nuanced relationship to this mind, the daytime meditations are absolutely key. And this is right off the bat, one of the things that differentiates lucid dreaming from dream yoga. Dream yoga, and let me just say very briefly about these, this distinction because it's helpful to understand that lucid dreaming in my languaging, largely psychological in nature, I'm not, it's not a dismissive statement, it's super important, largely about self-fulfillment. Dream yoga is more spiritual in nature and more about self-transcendence. And so by, by working with these practices and setting proper intentionality, we're working with these subtle dimensions of our mind during the day in meditation. And then guess what happens? These same principles of lucidity start to manifest in the dream and sleep arena and also in the liminal spaces. You simply will naturally start cultivated, again, boosted by this observational intent. You then have a little just added impetus in your corner in terms of how to relate to these. Does that help? Does that land with you a little bit? Yes. And I think there is a lot more to say about the how here, but just stepping back for one second, I worry a little bit that maybe for the listener, we haven't drawn bright enough lines between liminal dreaming, lucid dreaming, and dream yoga. Yeah, I think we should do that. I completely agree. So I wanted to emphasize the, the liminal dreaming because again, I, I think it's the most accessible, but basically what happens in, in the classic dream arena Liminal dreaming in a certain way, at least in my mapping, is kind of the new kid on the block. It, it's a way to grease the skids for lucid dreaming in the ways I suggested earlier. But the main players in the nocturnal arena of nocturnal meditation are indeed lucid dreaming and dream yoga. And so basically, as I mentioned earlier, lucid dreams are, you know, there's a really cool state of mind, hybrid state of consciousness, where one wakes up within the arena of dream, understands that they're dreaming, and that all the stuff we talked about can take place in that dimension. So by that, what I mean is lucid dreaming transcends, it goes farther than liminal dreaming, but it also includes it as a platform. Dream yoga transcends, but includes both lucid dreaming and liminal dreaming, but it goes further, includes them, but goes further. Same with sleep yoga, same with bardo yoga. And so, like I mentioned, the, the real benefits start to shine, at least in my experience, when you start working with dream yoga, because this is like kind of the good news or bad news thing in the world of lucid dreaming. Whenever intention is involved, even at the level of a dream, now this does not apply 
to standard non-lucid dreaming, where there's no fundamental intention involved. It's just your habitual patterns being revealed without overt intentionality. But when you have intentionality, even in the dimension of the dream, habits are created, or in Eastern language, karma is created. And so this is, this is interesting in the world of lucid dreaming. It's one of the reasons it, it's a bit sexy and it sells. The marketing is, you know, fulfill, slightly exaggerated, but fulfill your wildest fantasies in the privacy of your own mind. Well, hey, that's great to a point, but it doesn't say it should be in the fine print that whenever intention is involved, again, karma habit is created. And so that's either bad news or good news. I mean, this is one reason why, to the best of my understanding, one of the most sophisticated dreamers of the last century, Carl Jung, was very hesitant to endorse lucidity because he realized the potential for self-inflation, for self-aggrandizement. And so he was hesitant to endorse it. So this is good news or bad news. And by that, what I mean is, if you're just cultivating narcissistic, completely indulgent activities in the world of lucid dreaming, hey, those habit patterns, again, using the principles of what you do with your mind changes your brain, neuroplasticity, you're actually cultivating these negative habit patterns. That's the bad news. The good news is when you understand this, and this is where dream yoga really comes in, you realize, hey, I can really clean up my habits in the world of nocturnal meditation. Not only can I clean up my habits, I can replace them with good habits, and then fundamentally, I can get rid of all habits, period. And so one way, at least within the Buddhist world, and that's where these practices, that's the way I learned them in the arena of, of Tibetan Buddhism. One way to look at the whole thing, at least the way I see it then when I look over the whole business from 50,000 feet, is the process of the path is to transform bad habits into good habits, i.e. bad karma into good karma, and then eventually transcend karma habit altogether. And that's what the awakened ones are. That's what the Buddhas are literally the only ones that are habit free. So in the world of, of dream yoga, then what do you do? In the nine stages of dream yoga practice, you work with these habit patterns. They are revealed to you within the context of the dream. And then with your lucidity, you start to transform those habits. And then very briefly, just to complete the picture, and then we can go anywhere you want with this, with some facility in dream yoga, then you progress into graduate school practice, which is sleep yoga. It's called luminosity yoga in Tibetan and Sanskrit, the fruition of what's called yoga nidra. And this is really where it gets profound. This is where you can cultivate, and it may seem like an unbelievable assertion for those of us in the West, you can maintain complete lucidity in the deep dreamless state. Now, these other lucid dreaming has been substantiated, scientifically proven since 1975 in England, 77 in Stanford. Ever since then, it's been proven over and over. Scientists are now actively working to substantiate this outrageous claim. Are you telling me that I can be awake and sound asleep at the same time? Yes. And so just to show you the scope of when this will be proven, because labs are working on it with really advanced dreamers, Thomas Metzinger, arguably one of the world's leading philosophers, has said that when this is in fact substantiated, it will be a revolution in the mind sciences. So there's so much to say about that, but I'm going to pause to just go to the very last one, and then we can focus on any one of these that you please. You see how much is here. <laughs> so with some stability in sleep yoga, now we're entering postdoc. And again, these are all elective. You do not have to go to this deepest end of the pool. But really the fruition, and this is where I really started got, getting excited about this, because I, I write and teach a lot about death and dying. 
In, in Bardo Yoga, Bardo is a Tibetan word that means gap, transitional process in between. And it fundamentally refers to the archetype of the gaps, if you believe in this sort of thing, which is the gap between lives. And so the way this ties into the nocturnal meditations is when you're working with sleep yoga, it's one reason it's difficult for the untamed mind to recognize, you're working with extremely subtle formless dimensions of mind. Well, formless means deathless. And this is exactly where sleep yoga leads to bardo yoga. So fundamentally what these practices will reveal, and, and this is also suggested in, in Greek mythological and intellectual history when you realize that the god of sleep is hypnos, the god of death is thanatos. How are they related? They're not even just brothers, they are twins. And so therefore, in the classic wisdom traditions, using sleep, especially deep sleep, to work to prepare for what is literally called the dream at the end of time. And one comment here, and then I'll pause. We can take any of these and unpack it. But the Tibetans talked very compellingly about three different types of dream. The nighttime dream is so provocatively called the double delusion or the example dream. Now, how interesting is that? What it implies is you can use the insights gained from the nighttime dream during practices like dream yoga. You can extrapolate those insights back to the second type of dream, which is this so-called waking reality. This is what's called the primary dream. This is what the Buddha, literally his name means the awakened one. I think we could argue the ultimate lucid dreamer. This is what he woke up to. He woke up. He discovered that what we know or what we think of as reality is just a type of dream. Now, what that means, boy, we can talk about that. But the last one, and then I'll pause. The third type of dream the Tibetans refer to as the dream at the end of time. And that's death. And so what the Bardo literature says is that the type of experiences we have in the nighttime dream are highly concordant or similitude. They're, they're virtually identical, according to that tradition, the types of experiences we're going to have at the end of life. And so therefore, if you believe in this sort of thing, you can use the, the arena of the nighttime dream I mentioned earlier. Lucid dreaming leads to lucid living. Well, it's not just a two for practice, it's a three for practice. You're getting three for the price of one because lucid dreaming also leads to lucid dying. And so I'll pause for a second because these are, I'm opening up a lot of doors here and I just want to make sure we walk through the right one. Coming up, Andrew shares some starter moves for bringing lucid dreaming into your life. And we also talk about whether this is a safe practice for people like myself who have a fragile relationship to sleep. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 
Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I think given that we have limited time, I want to focus on the shallower end of the pool and, the, and how can we get into lucid dreaming. But let me see if I can sum it up. So liminal dreaming, which is the first, you know, way station on your map, is basically just being aware of this sort of transition between the waking state and the sleeping state. Lucid dreaming is when you actually wake up in a dream and have some agency within the dreams. Dream yoga, it's like you're not just awake and making decisions about flying or having sex with somebody you've long fantasized about. You're actually using the dreams to create good karma. It's a kind of form of meditation at night. Sleep yoga is when you're awake, when there's no dream at all, and that's pretty out there as a notion. And even further out there is bardo yoga, where you're awake, I guess, in the liminal state between being alive and being dead or being alive and being dead and being alive again. But anyway, if that's reasonably accurate, let's go back to lucid dreaming. So what can we do? Let's give people some starter moves they can make at home to see if they can get there. Yeah, love it. Love it. Yeah, let's go here. So yeah, so here's the deal with the ways to bring about lucidity in the dream state. There's a marvelous set of contributions, both from the so-called East and the so-called West. And my approach is a little bit this kind of integral spirit. I'll take truth and skill sets from wherever I can get it. And so one of the really cleverest ways to bring about lucidity slash awareness in the dream state is to work with this playful thing of dream signs and state checks. And by this, what I mean is when you get the hang of it, these are really intuitive, they're easy, and they're actually kind of fun. And so the way this stuff works is when you're in a normal non-lucid dream, what the dream researcher Paul Tolet talked about, no critically reflective attitude. And what that means is you're hanging around in your non-lucid dream and a pink elephant arises. You just accept it. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. I mean, thought bubble because you're not really saying this. You're just like whatever weird thing happens in the dream And isn't that largely what constitutes our dreams or weird events, incongruous, disjointed, just literally dream-like events? Well, if you just go blithely just not questioning the status of authority in a certain way, like whatever weird thing happens in your dream, you just go with it. Hey, that's what's going to keep you in a non-lucid state. And so what you do with the practice of dream signs and state checks, that's kind of cool, is let's say here I'm chatting with you and a bird smacks into my window here, right? Well, that's a little bit unusual. Or even, you know, even more, I have my door open and a raccoon walks in, right? That's a bit weird. That's just different. And so what one does is you start to condition yourself that whenever anything weird happens, and once you start to do this kind of conditioning, you start to realize, whoa, there's weird stuff happening all the time. 
you want to conduct what's called a state check, a reality check. And what that means is a very simple, playful test to determine like, hey, am I awake or am I dreaming? And so let's say, okay, I'm sitting here, I'm talking to you, and a bird smacks into the window. Well, what I do, this is just one of many, is I will literally just jump up off my seat. And it's like, okay, okay, why are you doing that, Andrew? Well, because if I jump up and I come back down, hey, I'm awake in this reality. But if I jump up and keep going, wait a second, wait a second, I, I can't do this in waking reality. I must be dreaming. And so this gets really cool. So I've conditioned myself every single time something incongruous, something dreamlike, something disjointed happens, I conduct a state check. So this is habit patterns, kind of karmic predispositions. I like to refer to them as pop-ups. You're fundamentally, with this practice, installing a bunch of pop-ups during the day, just like these annoying pop-ups on your computer. You're installing these pop-ups during the day that, guess what? They are going to pop up when you're dreaming. So tonight I go to sleep. Some weird thing happens in my dream because I practice state checks, dreams I practice all the time. Guess what? I'm going to conduct a state check. I'm going to jump up. And because I've done this for so long, it's like half the time when I initiate a lucid dream, it's because I do so when I'm flying. I'll jump up, something weird happens. I mean, it's like happens all the time, right? In the nighttime dream. I keep going. And so then I just start flying and I go, wait a second, this is so cool. I'm back in a lucid dream. And then then I go for a joyride. So even if I'm doing kind of more disciplined, traditional dream yoga, I almost always these days start with a little bit of fun. I'll do a little joyride or whatever, and then I'll go to work. Another really key thing, really key technique, Stephen LeBarge discovered this. His studies have shown that people that engage in this following one have a 1,600%, that's a 16-fold increase in chances of lucidity. It's called the wake and back to bed method. And you just play with this. Set your alarm to go off around two to three hours before you'd normally wake up. Depends on a person's habit, so you have to experiment and play with this. What you want to do is stay up anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes or even a bit longer. Don't go to your computer. Don't turn on any lights work with some induction methods, work with some meditation. And basically, his studies have shown that this raw interruption of of sleep inertia, sleep patterning can really heighten lucidity because the farther you go during the night, the more you enter REM sleep, which is when we dream, rapid eye movement sleep. That's what I playfully refer to as primetime dream time. That's why we remember most of our dreams later in the morning. What are you talking about there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So set your alarm to go off. I would usually recommend three hours before you wake up because if if you set it too much later than that, chances are good you're not going to go back to sleep. But this is something you have to play with. You wake up, do a little waking back to bed method. So this kind of doubles with that technique. And then, you know, reset your intentionality. This is a great thing to do throughout the day. Let me just say this. Tonight, I'm going to have many dreams. Tonight, I'm going to remember my dreams. Tonight, I'm going to wake up in my dreams. That's the intentionality. So that's the perfume that's going to be sublimating everything you do. So you reinstate that as you're going to sleep. You reinstate that in the middle of the night. And then you basically just go back to bed. And then just see what happens. I worry as somebody who has a fragile relationship to sleep generally in that I sometimes struggle to get enough, that if I tried to set an alarm three hours before I wake up, 
that I wouldn't fall back to sleep and I'd just be fucking miserable. Right. <laughs> hey, this is a new arena, man. This is the wild frontier. I mean, it's a frontier in implementation strategies in the Western world. And for people like you and me 30 years ago, I mean, this is the wild frontier, right? So we're going to be struggling and experimenting and hacking. That's the way evolution progresses. You know, it's, it's, it, you're hacking and you're chopping through the underbrush and you're learning your way. And so what you do, this is why it's a little bit more advanced. You become your own meditation instructor here. You become your own guide. And some people, like, they love that. They like that. Oh, wow. You know, agency, autonomy. I'm going to do my thing. Other people want to be handheld. And for them, this set of practices just simply may not be for them. That's cool. You don't have to do these things. But the idea is slightly more advanced in the sense that nobody knows your mind better than you. Nobody knows your vicissitudes, the way you roll better than you. And so the way this stuff works, and this again is so cool, this is where you're going to really learn about yourself. You go in there, you go into this kind of darkness of the unconscious mind, armed with some of these tools. You learn the tips and tricks and the basic parameters and the guidelines. And then what? You send out like inward bound, right? When you're doing outward bound, you know, you get all your goodies, you get your backpack, you get everything, and you go out into the wilderness. Same thing here, but now it's inward bound. And so you have to have this slightly intrepid and curious approach, and you go and you just explore. You see what works for you. You see what doesn't work. And again, I mentioned this earlier, but let me put an exclamation point on it. That's why there's so many different techniques. Unless you're teaching, the point is not to master the techniques. The point is lucidity, not what gets you there. And so you'll find your sweet spot. You just have to hang in there. You experiment, trial and error. You check it out. You see what works. You see what doesn't. If you can't go to sleep after waking up with the three-hour thing, don't do it. And try something else. And then sooner or later, something will work for you. You'll find that little avenue or sweet spot in, and that's your ticket in. And then all the other techniques just fall away. You just take that ticket, and that's your way in. Andrew, before I let you go, if people want to learn more from you about how to do this stuff, what are the resources you've put out there, books and otherwise? Oh, you're very kind. Well, I have three books on the topic. Entry-level book is a workbook called The Lucid Dreaming Workbook. By Harbinger Press, that's a really great intro. All the benefits are in there. All the induction techniques are in there. It's a great intro. And then the second book in this trilogy is literally Dream Yoga, Illuminating Your Life Through Lucid Dreaming and the Tibetan Yogas of Sleep. This is a deeper dive where I do a survey through the nocturnal meditations with a pretty heavy emphasis on, on dream yoga, but also a chapter or two on sleep yoga and bardo yoga. And then my deepest dive, which came out a couple of years ago, the third book in the trilogy is called Dreams of Light, The Profound Daytime Practice of Lucid Dreaming, where I introduce this, excuse me, this breathtakingly brilliant topic of the daytime practice of illusory form, which we haven't even touched on, which is a marvelous, unique contribution to dream yoga to work with the illusory nature of reality, that when we say reality is a dream, what does that really mean? So those books are great. But we also started four years ago, Dan, this, for exactly this reason, because this is a very solitary venture. It's, you're really kind of alone. We started this platform called Night Club. It's within <laughs> my website, andrewholacek.com, where it's an international community where we have a really rich array of amazing, like the world's greatest experts on scientists and scholars and kind of mystics and practitioners in the world of, of nocturnal meditation, all kinds of webinars, meditation things super dream sharing group, science group, 
really active community with a number of events going on every week. And it's it's a really fun place where people, like-minded people can get together, support each other. And again, we designed it particularly to help people with this venture because, hey, where else do you be able to get this kind of support? So I, thanks for the opportunity to riff on those. They're pretty cool gigs. And we think they've been of some benefit. Thanks for coming on. This was utterly fascinating. Yeah, thanks for the really great questions. I hope I didn't blow you over with, with my enthusiasm. I mean, once I get going on this stuff, I get so jazzed, super excited to spend this time with you. And thanks again for your just terrific questions. Thanks again to Andrew. Thanks as well to you for listening. Go give us a rating and a review. I know every podcast host asks for that, but there's a reason because it really helps us with the algorithm. So please do me a solid. And thanks finally, and most importantly, to everybody who works so hard on the show. 10% Happier is produced by Gabrielle Zuckerman, Justine Davey, Lauren Smith, and Tara Anderson. DJ Kashmir is our senior producer. Marissa Schneiderman is our senior editor. And Kimmy Regler is our executive producer. Scoring and mixing by Peter Bonaventure of Ultraviolet Audio. And we get our theme music from Nick Thorburn of the great indie rock band Islands. And Nick's got a new album coming out, I just noticed, on iTunes. So you can actually hear at least one of the songs now if you go check out Islands wherever you get your music. We'll see you all on Friday for a bonus. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me DJ and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.